Well, we've heard about the off-field reasons why Kayvon Thibodeau's draft stock is slipping a little bit, and he's no longer a consensus number one overall pick, might even fall out of the top five. But there are some on-field reasons as well. I had the opportunity to talk to Mel Kuyper Jr. about that. So what did he say about Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau? Plus, Oregon sports in the postseason this year came up short across the board. That's a bit of an anomaly but it's also a good sign that we can feel that way. I'll explain coming up today on Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. It's part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. Like and subscribe wherever you're listening to and or watching the show if you want to leave a nice review or a five-star a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a nice comment anywhere you're listening to or watching the show right now. Always appreciate seeing that. If you've ever done that, by the way, I've seen it. I thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoy the show, Duck fans. And if you ever want a question answered here on the show by yours truly, tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod, or you can DM me at Smalls underscore 55 is the Twitter handle. You can see it down there if you're watching on YouTube right now, or, 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 or. At Locked on Ducks is the Twitter handle as well. DMs wide open. So Kayvon Thibodeau has gotten all his attention. He ended his combine early. And is he really committed to the game? And yada, yada, yada. And so we've heard all the off-field noise about why teams are suddenly doubting this guy who was a number one overall high school recruit and projected as the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft really for quite some time. And I think part of it is that People just have a tendency to get bored with a guy who is that good, that physically talented when he's at the top of the boards for so long. But there's more to it than that. Yesterday, I record this on Thursday. I had the privilege to get to be in on a a Zoom call with Mel Kuyper Jr., who was fielding questions from media members from all over the country. And Mel Kuyper, man, he is just he is a machine. There, It was all unprompted. People could ask him anything and he would give them thorough, detailed, thoughtful responses. Really nice guy as well. And it was awesome to be able to talk to him because I'd been wondering, was there anything on the field about Kayvon Thibodeau that, that concerned NFL GMs and scouts? And it turns out that it's not just off-field stuff. There are on-field things that Kayvon Thibodeau has to be able to to improve upon if he's going to hit his ceiling in the NFL. So someone else asked a question, you know, what's causing him to slide? And Kuyper said part of it is that Aiden Hutchinson's production was outstanding while Thibodeau had an injury and was in and out of the lineup. And then he had the targeting against Stanford. So he's out the first half of the Cal game as well. It was a game record when he was on the field, but he missed some big time games, including against Ohio State, which would have been a really good chance for him to kind of put his foot in the ground and say, Here I am against potentially NFL caliber offensive linemen, or at the very least, some of the best in the country. He didn't play in that game at all, if you remember. And still, Oregon was able to get the win. What a fun, fun day that was. And yet, feels like a distant memory, sadly. Anyway, so that's part of it, that Hutchinson's production was really good and that Thibodeau's production was a little bit limited because of the injury. But he said that he's a great inside pass rusher and that that versatility is huge that he's very strong. He doesn't have great bend when rushing outside of an offensive tackle. You know, he kind of the way defensive ends will duck their shoulders to get around says he needs to work on that, but that he's got great first step quickness. His get off is really good. 
at his best, he can be a real nightmare. His versatility is, is key to his overall production as well. But this was the biggest thing he said. He doesn't have very many pass rush moves, and he relies heavily on his physical traits to be able to dominate the guy in front of him. Now, even in the NFL, Thibodeau has elite physical traits, his get-off, his quickness, his overall size at 6'5", 250, and he runs, I think his 40 time was somewhere around 4'6", which is insane for a guy that big. But Kuyper was adamant that how he is coached in the NFL, not just the scheme he plays in, but how he's able to develop a secondary pass rush move or even a tertiary one as well. How he's able to be more refined and not quite as raw is going to determine whether or not he will hit his ceiling as a defensive end and a pass rusher getting after quarterbacks in the NFL. And that, to me, made a lot of sense. I remember when Thibodeau first got to Oregon, it was even more pronounced. He could only speed rush to the outside. That's still his best move. But as time went on, he started to show that he can do, he's more than a one-trick pony in that front. But to be a high-level pass rusher at the NFL level, Kuyper believes that he has to be able to elevate his game further in that sense. So that's another component as to why he's gone from consensus number one all the way down to he could fall in the seven to 10 range. Now, Kuyper thinks that number seven of the Giants is a, a potential falling spot or a landing spot for him. He doesn't think he would fall out of the top 10, that number nine to the Seahawks is the absolute lowest that he would go. But he actually liked the number seven pick to uh, the Giants. And, and by the way, just a quick side note, Malik Willis, someone asked a question about the Liberty quarterback and his physical traits. And when Kuyper, again, completely impromptu here, was talking about quarterbacks who you know were able to overcome being a raw prospect with just physical traits winning out, Justin Herbert in the conversation. I just always love hearing big time national guys talk about Justin Herbert like that because he's so thoroughly good and we of course love him as duck fans and are rooting for him through and through as a seahawks fan i might become more of a chargers fan here this season because it's going to be a rough one anyway the giants at number seven is where he thought it might be an interesting fit and schematically there's an interesting fit there because of their defensive coordinator who's wink martindale who's been in uh, baltimore with the ravens for the last several years he likes the blitz a lot. And that could be good for Kayvon Thibodeau. I'll tell you why, but first I want to tell you about Built Bar. My latest order of Built Bars arrived earlier today, and they're stocking up my golf bag. They've got a bunch of amazing flavors, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and most Built Bars, they've got 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein, which is just way, way better for you than a candy bar, but they taste just as good as a candy bar. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The scheme fit of Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Giants, and Thibodeau would be an interesting match. And the reason is Martindale loves to blitz. He loves to go man-to-man, -man, what's called cover zero. You have no safety over the top. Everybody's just locking up on one guy. You got no help and you're going to blitz six or seven and just go man to man across the board. He loves doing that on third down. What that could do for Thibodeau is create one-on-one -on -one opportunities because the offensive linemen, running backs, and tight ends who are protecting the quarterback have to block somebody else other than him. So you can't chip as often. You can't slide protection over that way if you know six guys are coming. So that could be an advantage, and I think schematically would be an interesting fit. But I asked Mel Kuyper Jr., you know, what sort of coaching does he need to hit his ceiling? Is there a particular scheme that that would fit his skill set very well? Because those were my thoughts. But he said, quote, 
that's a hard one. And if if Mel Kiver is stumped, everybody is is truly stumped. So take my opinion as as you may. But he said, you know, coaches at, at your position, not just your coordinator, but at your specific position, should be the 32 best in the world who are confident enough to take a kid they feel that they're com- that they are able to maximize in terms of his skill set. If a team takes Thibodeau, they know what they're getting, they know the limitations, and they know what he can do best. Tough to nail down a scheme fit. The Giants are a pretty good spot. He has to want to be great, but feels that he might be a little bit more motivated now after all this media hubbub about his motivation and his commitment to football and all the stuff that I've been talking about here on the pod over the last few weeks with Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that's a fascinating component. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, if he, being Thibodeau, hears that a specific GM or a specific scout from a team didn't trust his commitment level and then plays him on Sunday. Heck, if someone did that to me, that would make me a lot more motivated to show out and show what I'm capable of. And I, I haven't questioned Kayvon Thibodeau's motivation, but anytime you can get an extra level, it's it's never a bad thing for a guy with those sorts of physical traits. So Giants at seven would be an interesting fit. I'd still be surprised if he fell that far. I think a couple other teams could potentially take him earlier than that, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to having Wink Martindale there, who's an experienced veteran and successful defensive coordinator in the National Football League. Uh, on the subject of the Atlanta Falcons and who they could get to supplement Marcus Mariota, uh, someone from Atlanta asked Kuiper about that, and he said that they should be looking at a wide receiver, and he thinks Garrett Wilson's going to be there. He has Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, who's coming off an injury, but is still really good. He has him going fourth to the Jets, and that would leave Wilson, who Duck fans may remember from the Ohio State game earlier this season, or this past season, I should say. He has, quote, done everything possible to be a top 10 pick. He runs the route tree well. He has great hands. He's got good speed as well, and he was productive while he was at Ohio State. So I would love for the Falcons to take a wide receiver with that pick with no Calvin Ridley. Kyle Pitts is really good. Cordell Patterson's a nice piece to have in the offense, but ultimately you need to have a number one threat on the outside. And college wide receivers have been popping as of late. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, among uh, a flurry of others. Jalen Waddle's really good. Jerry Judy in Denver is a nice player as well. So uh, these guys are coming out pretty ready-made. And I think if Garrett Wilson is the selection for the Atlanta Falcons, it could help out Marcus Mariota a lot couple final notes here on the Ducks from uh, the call that I had the privilege of being on with Mel Kuyper. He listed the top three cornerbacks, and someone asked, you know, the top three are kind of consensus. It's Derek Stingley, uh, the guy from Cincinnati, and then uh, Trent McDuffie, the guy from Washington. When he was asked about who the fourth cornerback should be, he listed just a bunch of guys because Mel Kuyper is a machine, and he knows the NFL draft better than anybody else uh, say for maybe Todd McShay, but I mean, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got a preference. Uh, I don't, I like, I like them both. I really do. But he listed a lot of guys who could be the fourth corner taken and Mikhail Wright was not in that group. And then I asked him who would be the next Oregon duck taken off the board. He said it depended on the rounds and kind of where things fell in the first couple, because neither McKinley nor Mikhail Wright are going to be probably high round draft picks, right? Because he fell back a little bit this season and McKinley more because his physical upside is a little bit limited at the NFL level. Those ball instincts and his IQ are off the charts. Good first team all American this year for a reason. He thinks that it will be Verone McKinley going first and then Mikhail Wright will be later. And 
you know, I, I predicted on the show a couple of weeks ago that Wright would be a fourth or fifth round pick. That probably looks to be the case. He's got the physical size. He just has to have the ability. And, you know, maybe like Thibodeau, he has to find the right coaching situation to be able to succeed in a scheme and, you know, with coaches and players around him that will allow him to maximize his potential. So Oregon DBs have done very well in the NFL as of late. Thomas Graham, Diamondor Lenore, Javon Holland, easily the best of them in, in the last several years. Like there have been some really good guys. Troy Hill's still in the NFL. Terrence Mitchell. Oregon hasn't had a problem sending DBs to the, to the league. And I think Mikhail Wright could be a nice value pick in the fifth round for somebody. Transfer portal news. Uh, Mitchell Agude, the day this episode is dropping is when he's scheduled to commit. So I'm recording on Thursday night during March Madness. Zags are done as a number one overall seed. Woo pig suey. And Mitchell Agude is going to commit on Friday. We'll have a full recap and breakdown of that on Monday's show. And I hope he comes to the Ducks. Defensive end from UCLA, one-time junior college guy, high motor, productive player, was probably UCLA's best pass rusher this last season. And I think that he would really fill a need for the Ducks with the aforementioned Kayvon Thibodeau going to the NFL. Okay, this is a fascinating topic to get into, and I'll give it plenty of time today. So. There were only five schools in the country that had both a 10-win football season and a 20-win basketball season. And yet, Oregon, despite being one of those schools, has a group of fans, myself included, by the way, who feel very disappointed with how everything ended. Men's basketball didn't get to the tournament. Football, lose three or final four, three of which were blowouts. You lose a bowl game and two bad games to Utah as well. Pac-12 championship. None of it was good, right? It all ended terribly. But at the end of the day, you look at it. Women's basketball, first round, five seed, got upset by the 12th seed of Belmont. So it was a disappointing year for postseason sports this, this season for the Ducks. It really, really was. Hopefully baseball and softball, which continue to roll along, by the way. Softball is, uh, I believe, 22-4. and four. And baseball's 14 and three over the last 17 games. So hopefully they can bring some postseason success in the spring because basketball and football just weren't quite able to deliver. And now that's been a little bit of an anomaly as of late. Oregon's won a couple Pac-12 championships in football. The women's team has had a lot of success. I always lament that they had the season canceled. That Sabrina Ionescu, uh, Satu Sabali team. That was that was a squad. That was a heck of a squad. Men's basketball this year, they came up short as well, getting to the NCAA tournament. And I'm not saying that Duck fans should be happy about this, right? Because I'm disappointed just like you. I was following football all year long. I was right there. The ending, it sucked. I was in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. I've been to more enjoyable football games. It wasn't great. Basketball, I rode the highs and then I felt the lows with that men's team. It was just so up and down, probably a lot of change on that roster coming though. Maybe not as much as duck fans could think, but it's okay to feel disappointment. That's natural. It's normal. You should feel that way because if you don't, then you don't care about the ducks the way that you should, but I'm not accusing any of you doing that. I've known duck fans my entire lives life. I know that you're all disappointed about that. Context is still important. Getting to a point as, as a fan of a college athletics program where a 10-win football season and a 20-win basketball season or a five-seed in the NCAA tournament in the same year is a disappointment is overall a great place to be. 
I don't tell you this or make this point to try to lighten the load of what happened this past year, but rather to just remind us all to appreciate how hard it is to be good in college sports. I'll remind you exactly how hard after I tell you about the Athletic Greens podcast brief. I started taking Athletic Greens because, well, you know, I didn't have time to really eat well or exercise or do all that sort of stuff. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. You got to incorporate at least at least a couple of stuff a day. It's, it's really, really good. Just one scoop. That's all you need. Just one scoop. And I, I tell you what, it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health. It's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. It's just kind of your one-stop fitness shop there in the morning. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year one supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash college. That's athleticgreens.com slash college. College. This episode of Locked On Ducks also brought to you by Bet Online. It's that time of year. March Madness is upon us for all the latest odds, contests, and player props. BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. It remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season, and they go way beyond basketball as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So I bring this up. In, in a broad picture, looking at the Oregon athletic department as a whole and how well run they have been, not just over the course of my lifetime, but also, you know, a little bit before that. But the last 15 or so years, uh, as I've been an active fan, I mean, I guess technically I'd be 18, but they have been good at most things most of the time. And we as fans should remain aspirational. That is 100% our job. I am still waiting for that magical season. I don't know which sport it'll be. I can't predict when no one knows the future. I'm waiting for that day. Can't wait for that day. And I can't wait to experience that here on Locked on Ducks with, with you Duck fans when Oregon finally reaches the pinnacle. Yeah, I hope it's football, but basketball would be awesome too, right? Wh whatever it is, we're all waiting for that day and we should remain aspirational, but we should also be able to appreciate how well run this athletic department has been for for a really really long time i mean getting to a point where 10 wins in football and 20 wins in basketball can legitimately be seen as a disappointment right some schools you know some fans their teams get to that sort of level and they feel disappointed but you look at them and go boy historically your team hasn't been that good and maybe you should be a little more appreciative of how great a season you just had oregon fans can legitimately feel disappointed this is an athletics program that's been to two national championships in, in football in the last decade, and I guess 11 years now, because 2011 is when it was played, yada, yada, yada. A Final Four in basketball would have gotten to a national championship game with women's basketball had that year not been canceled. I mean, it has been a really good run, and it continues to be that, and it can continue to grow. I'm confident in all the coaches that we have. I mean, Kelly Graves, Dana Altman, and, and now Dan Lanning and the run of Oregon football coaches that we've had over the last several years, you would be hard-pressed to find a trio of, of coaches and programs with the level of success those three have had. And I'm not even talking about you know baseball's recent rise or softball being a, a perennial top 20 program nationally. There are just a lot of good schools or, or a lot of good programs at Oregon. But 
winning is inherently hard. It always is. And when you have a football program that's had two losing seasons this century and a basketball program that's won 12 consecutive 20-win seasons, it's a really great place to be. Because down years, quote-unquote, are up years for other schools. And can Oregon get to that national championship level? I just told you, they can. They have. I believe they will again in more than one sport. And we should continue to root for that and hold that to be the standard. But I just saw that stat that there are only five schools, five, five. There's hundreds of Division I schools out there that have men's basketball and football. Five of them had a 10-win football season and a 20-win basketball season. And that's a letdown for the Ducks. That's a great place to be as a program. It's why I've always said when Dan Lanning got hired, the program's going to be fine. Even if he ends up leaving in four or five years, the program is going to find another head coach. Oregon won with Bilotti. They won with Chip. They won with Helfrich for a little while. Then there was one down year, and then they were back over 500 again. And Cristobal got his back to a championship level and elevated the recruiting base. It's just part of the culture at Oregon, thankfully for us as Duck fans, for the last 20 years that people want to go there. People want to be a part of the University of Oregon. And that's a really, really great thing. And the culture that we as fans in the community create are 100% a part of that. But it speaks to the players, the coaches, people around the programs who you never see or hear from, all of them, all of them, people whose names you wouldn't even recognize, who have been instrumental in, in each of these sports in the last 10, 15 years or so, have done such a tremendous job. And it's it's also a great reminder, the, the, this stat that I'm talking about here, of just how hard it is to win at the highest levels because Oregon has great coaches, but it's hard to keep them around. Right. And that's, that's the worry that some people have, I think reasonably with Dan Lanning is, well, what if he bolts for an SEC job in four years? Maybe he will, but I think he's got a higher ceiling as a head coach than say Justin Wilcox or even Chip Kelly right now, because Chip now is not what he was back in the day. So I think Oregon remaining aspirational and wanting to, be at that sort of level and have the sorts of coaches that can bring you a national championship is right where we want to be. And it's just not going to happen every year, right? We have just amazing coaches, Dana Altman, Kelly Graves, Melissa Lombardi in softball, uh, Dan Lanning now in football, I think can be really good. And I I've talked about the run of coaches that Oregon has had for, for the football program. It's been a really good run because they have great coaches and there's, not that many places that have that. There, there just aren't. It's a hard thing to find for an extended run. And it might feel like it'll last forever, but it never does. It never does. And I'm not saying things are about to all come crashing down, but in 20 years, we might look back at this run of Oregon sports and say, boy, has there ever been a time where the sports were succeeding that well, where we looked at a 10-win football season and said, oh, that was that was no good. Some of you are probably of a past generation, or if you talk to anyone of a past generation of Oregon fans who were around the Ducks in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, kind of before the Bilotti era really took things off and brought Oregon to the national level, it wasn't always like that. And it isn't like that for every school. It's a really tough thing to be able to do. And there's nothing that I've seen from Duck fans that brought this on. Right. I haven't, you know, gotten this flurry of messages of like, oh my gosh, this coach sucks. We need to fire that coach. Yada, yada, yada. 
I just always watch sports and try to put things into perspective, give it some context, give it some balance of, yeah, that was a 10 win football season and the ending sucked. We controlled our own destiny to get to the college football playoff. And they really ended up not even close to making the final four teams at the end of the year. That's the way it goes. Sometimes you lock, you reload, you give it another try and you keep making your best cracks at it. It won't happen every year. And this alignment of postseason failures for the ducks this year with, with women's basketball and men's basketball and football all coming up short. I don't expect that at all. I, I think our coaches are too good. They've proven that they can win at high levels. The programs have continued time and time again to prove they, they, that they can win at the highest levels and get to a national championship game. And I don't know which sport it's going to be first. I, I can't predict the future. If I had to guess, honestly, I would say men's basketball. I, I really, really would. But, well, women's basketball might be close. Kelly Graves is really good as well. But we're all still waiting for that one magical season. Yeah, it didn't It didn't happen this year. It didn't even really come close to happening in a postseason sense. But just because that's the case doesn't mean that we should feel bad about how those years went. I think that you would have to go back a ways to find a year where football, basketball, and, and women's basketball as well were all coming up that short in the postseason the way that they did this year. No NCAA tournament wins, no bowl victories, and in an Alamo Bowl, no less. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that. So bottom line here, Duck fans, everything's okay. Yeah, it's been a disappointing few months. It really has been. But the night is darkest just before the dawn. I always think of Harvey Dent in the dark night when, uh, when, when he says that line. And I don't know if that's actually the guy who came up with that quote probably isn't, but that's, that's who, that's why I always visualize. So we keep grinding through everything will be okay. And we'll come back at it next year, hopefully stronger than the year before. That's the plan. We'll be monitoring it all, but I just, I saw that stat. I thought it was an important thing to talk about. And by the way, spring sports, keep an eye baseball and softball, both looking really, really good right now. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.